Kevin Miller gives a great summary of what I think is a biblical teaching on this area and summarizes it so well. He said, keep asking God till you get a yes or the grace to live with a no. know that the summer is coming to an end when the summer series is finally over and that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, Throughout this summer we have been in a series called Show Me It's Real and through this time we've been saying that Christians are often more known for the beliefs they defend, the political stances they take rather than the character they possess or the good deeds that they do. And so we've been walking through the letter of James, trying to come to terms with real faith, put it as a mirror up to our own lives, and trying to see where calibration needs to take place. We couldn't go through an examination of true faith without examining prayer and how we respond to it. And this morning we're looking at the mystery of healing prayer. Kevin Miller gets us started by sharing about his confusion about this whole area of prayer. Uh, As a young Christian, as a a new Christian, he was on uh, a university campus and he met a woman by the name of Nancy. When he met her, he said, frankly, she looked pale and a little sickly. Uh, Nancy didn't have a lot of energy or strength. In fact, she could only manage one walk across campus a day, and so she would plan, she would leave for class early, she would walk slowly, and uh, when she made it to the other side of campus, she would stay there until her last class of the day, at which point she would slowly walk back and uh, return to her dorm. Dinner for her consisted often of boiled potatoes, nothing on them, and a handful of uh, pills that she took to treat her symptoms. Nancy had a severe blood disorder that left her weak and compromised, and it affected just about everything that she did. Of course, she prayed. She continued to pray, but about six months after uh, Kevin met her, she was praying in the chapel one day, and she felt that she had seen a vision of Jesus. And she had felt him saying, my blood is yours. She ran home from chapel that day excited. She told her roommate, I think that Jesus has healed me. I don't need to take my meds anymore. I'm, I'm all better. Her roommate encouraged her to first check with her doctor to see what has happened uh, before she does anything that might harm her. She followed her roommate's suggestion, and as she went to the doctor, he examined her. He said, something dramatic has happened. Your blood has, in fact, returned to normal. And... For years after that, she never experienced any of those symptoms ever again. She was dramatically and permanently healed. A few years later, Miller's nephew, Jonathan, was born. He struggled initially, didn't want to nurse. He had difficulties in just those early days and weeks of his life. 
uh, as they began to uh, run tests to try to understand what might be going on in his life, they discovered that he had congenital heart abnormalities. They prayed earnestly. The little baby had open heart surgery, and then another, and then another, and then one more, and he died. And Kevin, was, Kevin Miller was having to make sense of that, and it made him, question, made him question God, it made him question his faith, it made him question his relationship to God and this nephew for whom they had prayed so earnestly and so tirelessly. What was God doing? What did it all mean? As we go along in our relationship with God, it's not long before we start struggling with this whole area of prayer. Some things God seems to answer quickly and easily, and other things that the answers just never seem to come. And it makes us question what we believe. It makes us question what we understand about God. It makes us question where we are in relationship to him and how he sees us. Thankfully, God doesn't want us to be in the dark and he doesn't want us to be left in confusion in an area that is as important as this one. And so he lays out principles to give understanding that we might not walk through life in confusion, that we might not be in the dark about what God is doing and how he acts in this whole area of prayer. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me to today's passage. It's in James chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 20. On the black, uh, in the Black Church Bibles, on the rack uh, under the seat in front of you, it's on page 952. And we're going to walk through this uh, slowly this morning because it gives answers and help to us in this whole area of prayer. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one, another, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of God. Now, as we walk through this passage, it is not only going to explain to us and appeal to us to seek God in prayer, but it's going to give us answers to the questions that often come up when it feels as if God hasn't answered our prayers. So we're going to look at those three questions as we go through this text. And the first of these is this, is God not answering because I don't have enough faith? Some people are told that the reason God hasn't answered you is you just don't believe enough. There must be some 
shred of doubt in you. There must be something that you're holding back, and that's why God hasn't answered your prayer. And we want to just examine, is that biblical? Is the reason that God hasn't answered me because I don't have enough faith? Now, the passage starts by reminding us that all of the circumstances of life should should move us to prayer. So in verse 13, James asks, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Suffering is, is a very broad term, just encompassing all of the different ways that we struggle in this life, physically, emotionally, economically, all of the, all of the things that, that weigh on us. Those should move us to prayer. Then cheerful describes those happy times, those, those circumstances that bring a, a sense of relief, bring a smile to your face in the midst of those difficulties. Uh, God uh, wants us to bring those to him as well. And it's describing a life where we are just responding good and bad to the ups and downs, the joys and the difficulties, and we're bringing them all, sharing them with God in this relationship that is personal, that's individual, that's real, where we have a, a constant flow of communication with a God who loves us and wants to share in our lives. It's a reminder that a real, and we're talking about real faith, real faith consists of a relationship with God that, that, that involves time and involves communication. And I think if we're honest, we often shortchange God on both of those things. He wants to share life with us, and so we're encouraged to do so. Now, in verse 14, the focus changes. No longer is the person just praying to God themselves, but here they're sharing that load of prayer with others. It says, is is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Here we've moved from just a, a general, the different ways that we can suffer in the difficulties of life to something specific. This is a heavy burden of sickness. We know that it's particularly bad because the person can't even go to the elders to ask them to pray. They must be called, presumably because the person can't leave their bed. Uh, later in, uh, in verse 15, when he's healed, it says the Lord will raise him up, again, imp- implying that the person is cast down. They can't get up until they have been healed. And so he's describing this serious condition of, uh, of great need in a person's life, a physical uh, sickness that has left them bedridden. In this, in this situation, they are, called, they, they are urged to call the spiritual leaders in their life to uh, invite, invite prayer and to invite them to come. I think there are a couple things going on here in the calling of the elders. The first is just very simply, God doesn't want us to bear our burdens on our own. That throughout scripture, when it talks about prayer, it is never just an individual, solitary thing. That's why when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he he says, we pray to our Father. We pray for our daily bread, not just 
my father, my daily bread, my needs. We are to be recognizing the people around us, not just lifting up my needs, I'm lifting up yours, you're lifting up mine. We are coming together, bearing each other's burdens, holding each other up in prayer. That's part of what's going on here. The other thing that's going on here is that when an illness is serious enough, you want to invite spiritual leaders into your uh, uh, in, into your life, not because they pray better or because God listens to them, he doesn't listen to you, but because they can, they can provide context, counsel, uh, they can provide uh, some input that, that can otherwise uh, help someone from going down a very dark path. Uh, sometimes a physical li- sickness can lead to a spiritual shipwreck if there isn't uh, uh, someone who can provide insight, who can provide help and counsel, encouragement and guidance in those times. And so the elders are called to pray. They are called to uh, come alongside and they do so Uh, with a ministry of prayer, but also almost certainly a a ministry of counsel and encouragement. Now, how that works at Grace is that, hey, if you've got a need, you are encouraged to be doing that verse 13 kind of prayer, lifting up the difficulties and the joys of life all of the time as a regular part of your life. In your life group, you're sharing some of those needs with others who can enter into those burdens and be praying for them with you. Where there are heavy and specific uh, issues that you would like uh, the rest of the congregation to join in praying or uh, uh, others uh, joining with you, uh, you go on to hub.gracebc.ca. There is a little tab there called We Care, where we uh, want to be supporting you and lifting you up. You fill out one of those, that little form, and we put that into uh, either uh, a prayer request that we distribute to our We Care team or in our weekly prayer guide. Then if there is something that is too heavy for uh, you to bear even, even, even with that, uh, the elders are called, and we, uh, we, we will come, through, come alongside. We'll walk through this uh, James 5 passage together with you. We'll ask questions about uh, your faith, what God might be uh, doing in your life. Uh, we'll see if there are spiritual issues that the sickness has raised. Uh, we will offer counsel and encouragement and support. And then we will anoint the person with a little bit of oil, uh, symbolically setting the person apart to uh, the mercy and the grace of God as we pray, asking for God to show his grace and his healing mercy. Now, that's, that's a process at grace, but maybe you're hearing that and you're seeing this passage and you're saying, yeah, but Paul, what's this? What's this prayer of faith? Because what, what that seems like the magic bullet. What, what is, what's going on with, with that? And we, we need to deal with that in verse 15. This, verse 15 says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, often faith healers will tell you that if they uh, pray for you and they didn't manage to heal you, that must be, be because you didn't have enough faith. 
Interestingly here, uh, the situation is that the, the faith is from the, the elders, presumably, who are praying over this person, uh, that it is their faith, not, not uh, the person who is sick. It sounds like the elders are performing this magical prayer which will guarantee healing every time. And, and if that's how you read this, it, it, it makes it very difficult to square with the rest of Scripture. Uh, because there's just too many examples that would contradict that. In, in 2 Timothy 4.20, for example, Paul says, I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. And you're thinking, well, if he was one of your missionary partners, you'd think you could have just done one of those prayers of faith things and, and they would have been healed and he could have just come along with you. Like, pr- presumably, that was, it's not like Paul would have just forgotten, oh, I didn't do the prayer of faith, what was I thinking? No, pr- presumably, the prayer of faith is something different than that. Or, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, Paul prays famously for his thorn in the flesh. He prays again and again and again, and the answer is no. In fact, in that situation, Jesus directly speaks to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. No issue about Paul not having enough faith. It wasn't just that, hey, you forgot to do that prayer of faith thing. And as most scholars try to make sense of what James is saying in relation to the rest of Scripture, the consensus seems to be that what's happening there is that prayer, this this unstated and implicit assumption of all prayer in Scripture is that it comes and, and is based on the prayer of Jesus Christ. And so uh, when Jesus prays famously facing the cross, knowing what, knowing what is coming before him, knowing what he is about to face, he prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. He shares what he wants. He brings his desire before him. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the basis of all prayer that is offered up in Jesus' name. We tell God what we want, but we willingly and gladly submit to what he wills and what he purposes. We pray with a recognition that God is the one who is ultimately in control. He has greater wisdom, greater knowledge. He has an ability to see things that we can't see. And so as we pray, we think, as best as I can understand, as, as best as I understand this, this is what I think is best here, God. I want you to do this. And yet we recognize God sees things that I can't. He knows things that I don't know. He is wiser than me. His thoughts are above me. And so I trust him with the answers that he brings. As Nicky Gumbel once said, no matter how, however much he may want to, I don't believe that God will answer the prayer of the student who said, please, Lord, let Paris be the capital of England. It's just a recognition. We pray for some things that, you know, we, 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 we pray in the wrong direction because we pray out of ignorance. And, and so we entrust our request to God and we entrust him with the answers that he brings. 
Now, this prayer of faith is uh, this, uh, the situation where God may uniquely and unusually reveal his will in a particular matter. And in those cases, uh, the people who are, who are praying this in spiritual leadership are aligning themselves with God's revealed will, praying with confidence and assurance that God will do what he has said he would do, and uh, they, they pray in faith, aligning themselves with God. But that's, that's the exception rather than the, the norm. Often, we pray as best as we can based on the revealed will of God in Scripture and the needs that we have, uh, praying for him to act in grace and mercy, and we trust him with the results. Many people have said, we pray as best as we can with the conviction, God will answer us the way that we we would answer if we knew what he knows. And so it's, again, just this recognition of God's understanding. And so if you are a believer in Christ, all in with him, entrusting your life to him, then the reason God hasn't answered your prayer isn't that you don't have enough faith. It's just not what's going on. Now, if faith isn't the problem, is it possible that sin is? Could that be what is behind the no? Uh, had Kevin's little nephew died because of something that he had done or something that his parents had done or maybe even Kevin had done? Is is that what's behind this? Is God not answering because I have unconfessed sin? Now, halfway through verse 15, you might notice a change in the shift of of topic uh, because there it changes from prayer to sin and forgiveness. You might think they're unrelated. But then in verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So, very clearly, sin, forgiveness, prayer, healing are all being tied together into this same topic. Somehow, they're related. And the fact is, unconfessed sin is one of the causes of sickness. We are not just physical beings. We are spiritual and physical. We are, we're whole beings. It's all connected. And so one can influence the other and vice versa. In, in fact, there are lots of studies showing that people hide, for instance, sin out of a sense of, uh, of shame in their life are more likely to suffer headaches, nausea, back pain, hypertension, flu, and even cancer. And, and so we, we need to recognize there is some, uh, that, that unconfessed sin can be one of the things that can aggravate physical symptoms in our lives and can cause physical, uh, physical uh, consequences. On top of that, the scripture talks about how God will use physical, uh, physical discipline in our lives to get our attention with regard to sin to open our eyes to it and to use the circumstances in our lives that way. And so it is a good practice when sickness comes, when trials and difficulties come, to just do a moral, spiritual inventory in your life. You can ask ask questions of what might be going on. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 30. It's Paul addresses sin in the church in Corinth, and then he says this, that is why some of you are weak and ill and some have died. So we're going to recognize there is some connection. Unconfessed sin can lead uh, to physical consequences in our lives. And if I believe that, then, then when those trials come, when I face sickness, I'm going to just be honest before God. I'm going to do an inventory of my life. I'm going to ask those questions. Uh, am I, am, am I experiencing, feeling bitterness towards someone? Is there some, some thing that I have left undone in my life? Is there sin that has been unconfessed in my life? are there areas of my life that I'm just saying hands off to God? Those are good questions to ask. It's a good time to do a moral spiritual inventory. And not to just do that alone, as the scripture here points us towards, maybe it's a time to get alone with another believer that you respect and share some of the things. If If there is sin in your life, share it with them, confess it to them, accept their counsel and their encouragement in your life. Clear your accounts with God. Just rule that out as a possible cause of what might be going on in uh, this trial that you're facing. But as you do that, don't make the mistake of thinking that all sickness is necessarily a result of some sin or physical, uh, a spiritual uh, issue in your life. That's the mistake that the disciples made with Jesus. So in uh, uh, John, chapter, John chapter 9, they come across this man, uh, this, this boy who had been bo- born blind, and they see what had taken place in his life, and they want to know. Probably this is a question that they had long thought in their lives. Whose fault was it? Had he, done, had he been sinful in some way? Was it his fault that he'd gotten into this condition? Or was it his parents? Maybe they were the ones responsible. Maybe they had committed some sin. And in John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus said, it wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's not the only other reason. It's one of the other reasons that, that God can allow uh, physical trials and sicknesses and uh, conditions like this in a person's life. But sometimes, and you have seen this yourselves, sometimes God will allow a physical sickness in someone's life and not answer that prayer to take it away because he can bring greater glory to himself in sustaining and supporting and strengthening that person in the midst of it. Any of you who are familiar with the story of Joni Erickson Tata know this. You, uh, you, you see God's glory on display in her life. She was 17 years old when in a diving accident she became a quadriplegic. Many people would say, what kind of God would allow that? This is, this, this is you know, something that we, we can't, can't accept, that God couldn't be good. And yet, in the goodness of God in her life, he has so glorified his life that she has strengthened the faith of people all across the world. She uh, 
not only didn't uh, give up in her life, she went on to write uh, almost 50 books. She is responsible for creating two uh, award-winning daily radio programs. She is the founder and CEO of an influential nonprofit organization committed to accelerating Christian ministry in the disability community. Just incredible what God has accomplished in her life. But as for her physical challenges, God didn't take them away. And in fact, God's ministry through her life was greater because he didn't. So does that mean we don't pray for God to heal us, for God to take away the the trials in our lives? No, God says pray. Involve others in prayer. Believe him for prayer. But also believe that sometimes he has greater purposes than taking them away. Sometimes God can glorify himself more in sustaining us in the midst of those trials than just taking them away. So don't assume that God's not answering because of unconfessed sin. Now, the final struggle that people have with regard to this whole area is maybe, maybe the reason that God's not answering is because I'm not good enough. Maybe it's the case that we question ourselves. Am I faithful enough? Is it because I'm just not committed enough? Because I'm not holy enough? Did I miss my devotion? Was it because I did this thing? Is God kind of getting back at me? Is it because I'm not good enough that God is not answering my prayers? So let's deal with that one. Here, actually, the scripture can sometimes cause people more confusion. Listen to verse 16. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, people read that, and then they see that he's mentioning Elijah as an example, and they kind of throw up their hands and say, I'm I'm not righteous enough. I'm no Elijah. God can't hear my prayers. I'm going to have other people to pray for me because surely God's not listening to my prayers at all. Well, part of our, our, our struggle there is with our understanding of the word righteous. Usually in scripture, the word righteous just means someone who is in right standing with God. And we understand from the scripture, you enter into right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about your performance. It doesn't mean, being righteous doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you are a genuine believer who has gone all in with Jesus. And surely, that's the point here. We know that's the point because uh, when Elijah is given as an example in verse 17, James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. We think of Elijah as this great prophet. He's the one who courageously stood up to King Ahab. He took on the 400 prophets of Baal. We think of him as this great man of faith. But after that showdown with the prophets of Baal, he heard that Ahab's wife was angry at him. And he was terrified. In fact, he ran away terrified. He he ran, he ran 200 kilometers away. He was so terrified. And when he had gotten away, he prayed this in 1 Kings 19.4. It is enough now, O Lord. 
Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. No disrespect to Elijah here, but let's just say he's more relatable than you might think. He's a man just like us. Was he righteous? Was he in right standing with God? Yes. Did he have his good days? Absolutely. Did he have his bad days as well? He sure did. But the point is, God answered Elijah's prayers, and he answered them dramatically. Verse 17 tells us about that experience. It says, he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The point here, the message to each of us is, our prayers can move heaven and earth. Our prayers can interrupt the weather forecast. We have great power in our prayers, uh, we who are rightly related to God through faith. And so then when it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power, we realize he's talking about you. He's talking about me. Our prayers have great power. And maybe somewhere along the line, the responses that you have gotten from God in prayer have made you doubt that. Because God said, you know, on this, on this request, not, not now, this isn't the time. And on this other request, no, it just, you're not going to understand this right now, but the answer, actually, it's better for you that I don't answer this the way you want it. Sometimes our experiences of those kinds of prayers can lead us to doubt that our prayers have any power at all. And maybe you've kind of given up and saying, ah, you know, unless I'm really in a pinch, I'm not, just not going to bother. I, I'm, I'm just, prayer can't be that, that meaningful. Prayer can't be that powerful. And the message is, it is. God hears you. God works in response to your prayers. And I want to just say very, very frankly, I need your prayers. I need your prayers to do the ministry that God has called me to. As a church, we need your prayers to, to carry out the mission that God has called us to. You have brothers and sisters sitting in this congregation that need your prayers as they go through some dark trials and some heavy burdens. They need you to join with them in lifting up those, those prayers alongside them. And they need you to believe that your prayers have great power, that you can accomplish much as you call upon the Lord. So would you join us in prayer? Would you, if you have gotten out of the habit of this, get back into the habit of setting aside time to regularly lift up the, the requests that God has given us in prayer? Uh, announcement was made. The, the prayer guide will be uh, published uh, starting again this Wednesday. Uh, purpose to make a regular habit of praying through those requests to lift them up before the Lord. Do it on your own. Do it as a family. Do it in, in, in some way that you can make those requests known.
We also said that we will be restarting our, uh, our prayer groups. Be a part of them. You can jump on a call for an hour to lift up the requests, to, to lift up the needs of this church, your brothers and sisters, the mission that God has given us. Let's join together in prayer. And beginners are welcome. Maybe you th- say, I'm just not very good at this. I'm not, guess what? None of us were very good at it. The prayer guide lays things out so that it's easy. Anybody can do it. We need your prayers. Just maybe send me an email after the service and just say, Paul, I want to try. I'm, I'm not very good at this kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm in. I want to I give it a go. Your prayers are powerful. Your pr- prayers are meaningful. God hears them. But I want to stop uh, and conclude this morning where we started with the difficulties and the challenges and the confusion that can come when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want. Hopefully you've seen from Scripture that when God says no, it's not just because you don't have enough faith. You can't assume that it's because of some unconfessed sin. And it's not that you're just not good enough. But what do you do when God doesn't answer? What do you make of that? How do you respond? We've already looked at Paul and what he learned, how he learned to deal with his no. When Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Paul said, that's enough. If that's the case, then I will welcome and embrace my weakness as a means for God to show his strength. I'm going to just change the way I, I see the, the weaknesses in my life and I will embrace them. Philip Yancey instead focused on the, the companionship of God in the midst of his trials. Hear what he said. He said, prayers offer no ironclad guarantees, just the certain promise that we, we, we need not live that mystery alone. Prayer is a reminder. God wants to be there with you. He wants to be there at your side in the midst of some of the the great disappointments of life, as well as the joys. Kevin Miller gives a great summary of what I think is a biblical teaching on this area and summarizes it so well. He said, keep asking God till you get a yes or the grace to live with a no. Keep asking him for the yes unless he gives you the grace to live with a no. And then finally, a man by the name of Tim Hansel who suffered for 35 years with severe chronic pain. He had cracked vertebrae. He had crushed discs in the upper back and neck. He said this, I have prayed hundreds if not thousands of times for the Lord to heal me. And he finally healed me of the need to be healed. He finally brought him to the point of feeling, I think I can, with God's grace, I have contentment in this. There there are other things that are just more important to me now. And he was healed of that need to continue to seek God for that area in his life. Look to God for what he would do. I don't think it's possible to pray that, to to come to that point in your life, unless you've met Jesus. Unless you have met the one who prayed earnestly in the garden, 
who prayed so deeply for him to, to, to be released from the physical pain and the social uh, shame of the cross. To see that Jesus Christ, and when the Father made it clear to him that the answer was no, Jesus accepted that answer and he went to the cross. Because Jesus accepted that no, he purchased our salvation and we have an eternal yes from the Father. We we receive a yes from the Father because Jesus was willing, willing to accept the no from him. And it is that example and sacrifice of Jesus that allows us to face the no's that we receive in our lives, to deal with them, to embrace them, and to understand the purposes of God in them. So let's trust God when the answer is different than what we expected. Let's believe in his good purposes And let's not let those no's and not now's keep us from seeking God for the yes, for believing that our prayers have great power. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know how we struggle with this. You know how hard it can be. And you don't have to care so much, but we're amazed that you do. Thank you for the answers that you give. Thank you for the prayers that you answer. Thank you for your generosity and love. And thank you that you never leave us alone. Give us the faith to keep asking you for the yes. Unless you give us the grace to live with a no. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.